What's up, everybody? I'm Josh Elmer alongside Jonathan Davis. This is a locked on crossover, Suitors and Longhorns coming together to discuss what the 2022 season might have in store for both. Thanks, everybody, for making Locked On Sooners and Locked On Longhorns your first listens every single day. Of course, we're both free and available wherever you get your podcasts. He's Jonathan Davis of Locked On Longhorns. Of course, I'm Josh Elmer of 94.7 The Ref in Norman in Oklahoma City. You can catch me alongside Chris Plank weekdays 9 to noon. You can download the station's free app. Just search KREF in your app store today. So, Jonathan, this is sort of a meeting of the minds for you and I, a Red River meeting of the minds and let's start here. There's so much we can discuss about both Oklahoma and Texas coming out of the spring. Of course, the, just the Big 12 in general, I think, is pretty interesting entering 2022. But for Sooner and Longhorn fans listening out there, what was sort of your reaction to Oklahoma going through a coaching search with Lincoln Riley bolting for USC and obviously who the Sooners wound up with, which was, of course, former Clemson defensive coordinator, former Oklahoma defensive coordinator, Brent Venables. So it was really crazy, I think, from Longhorn Nation, just kind of seeing how the whole thing unfolded. And, of course, you know, this is a friendly rivalry, well, not so friendly rivalry, you know, that they like to, you know, argue all day on Twitter and pick at each other. So, you know, although during the season, Oklahoma kind of got the, the leg up on us as far as the bragging rights and being able to talk trash because of the way – that the game unfolded after, you know, Texas smoked a 25 point lead in the game in the Red River rivalry. It was funny, uh, you know, when Lincoln Riley kind of scorned Oklahoma that the Texas fans were able uh, to pick on them for that. But it was just crazy to see that the way that it unfolded, the LSU rumors. And he's like, I'm not going to LSU at all. And a few days later, he's at USC and, you know, Oklahoma fans are acting like he's the worst thing uh, to ever come through Norman. Um, when you talk about Brent Venables, you know, his track record speaks for itself on the defensive side, at least um, at Clemson. And, you know, he's come in into Oklahoma. And at first it looked like, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, the, the thief in the night was taking all of Oklahoma's pay players. And, you know, we didn't know what Oklahoma was going to look like. And then, you know, he was able to come in and, and kind of save the ship in the transfer portal and the recruiting class as well. So um, I think I have a lot of respect for Brent Venables. Like I said, what he did at Clemson, um, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, what this Oklahoma football team looks like in the first year under Brent Venables. But I do want to talk about something I've been hearing. Um, it could just be talk on the message boards. You know, sometimes the Texas fans will be in the OU message boards and vice versa. Something I've heard is about Brent Venables uh, not allowing soft commits. Uh, so what's that about? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, he's been he, he's been pretty strong in his belief in how he wants his program to run that if you're committed to Oklahoma, that means you're all in committed to Oklahoma in the sense that if we want to define it, hard commit, soft commit, a I guess hard commit for Oklahoma would mean if you're committed to Oklahoma, you're, you're bought in in the sense that you're not taking a bunch of visits anywhere else after you've committed to Oklahoma. And so the, the mindset is if we've extended an offer to you and you've said yes, then we're committed to you, you're committed to us. And there shouldn't be a bunch of other visits to other places, which, you know, in recruiting today the way that it is, and probably we would need an elder statesman, Jonathan, than either you or myself to tell us about, you know, flip-flops from back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's not like that didn't happen back in the day, but I do think that in recruiting today in 2022, it feels like 
there's less commitment maybe than ever before. And obviously the transfer portal is just another wrinkle to all of that. So maybe fighting, guarding against a little bit of that to where, look, if you're committed to Oklahoma, that's it. You're shutting it down. Yeah. So it, because you talked about it, like because these recruits now are so fluid and you see so many commitments and decommitments and I'm opening my recruitment back up and all of that, you would think that that's not, the most positive strategy to use right now. You would think that you would kind of have to just deal with the times and deal with, you know, these recruits who kind of constantly have their eyes elsewhere. And then now we've seen, uh, you know, maybe with Lincoln Riley and Jordan Addison or just other players that these other schools, even, you know, if a player's committed, signed, whatever, they're still going to try their best to pry them away from their current university. So uh, these, like I said, these, these kids have their eyes everywhere and, and, you know, it's, something that it seems like you have to deal with, but at the end of the day, Brent Venables uh, is going to run his program the way he wants to run it. And it seems like so far uh, things have worked out for him. So you kind of mentioned this off the top, ton of respect for Brent Venables as the defensive mind that he is with what he accomplished both. Well, really dating back even to, to Kansas state and Bill Snyder, what they were able to do there. And then parlaying that into his stint at Oklahoma. And of course what he did at Clemson, but It's his first head coaching gig, and I'm sorry, with the first head coaching gig, there's just going to be questions about how successful all of that's going to ultimately turn out. Are you bullish? Are you optimistic? Where do you sort of sit with Brent Venables? Are you wait and see, which I think a wait and see approach is perfectly fine with a head coach like Brent Venables that, look, he's not coached a game as a head coach before. So I think it's kind of interesting. We talked about this on Locked On Big 12, how – in a season where there's so much, you know, turnover in the Big 12 and there's not really a true kind of number one uh, team going into next season. Oklahoma's kind of been given uh, the benefit of the doubt. I think when you look at um, the bet online odds, I think they had, you know, four teams at eight and a half wins or more. Uh, but they had Oklahoma favored to win the Big 12. And you talked about it. They have a first time head coach. So much turnover on that roster. Uh, between the transfer portal and, you know, players that were committed to Oklahoma leaving and going to USC, so on and so forth. Um, But because they've been the premier program in the Big 12 for so long, uh, we've kind of given them the benefit of the doubt and said, okay, they still have enough talent. They still have their foundation in place. It's still the University of Oklahoma, and they're going to win the Big 12 next year. Uh, When I look at Baylor and Oklahoma State, I think that they're well-run programs, but I do expect them to take a step back. I think most people expect Oklahoma and Texas to be at the top. Um, at the end of this season, you know, possibly even in the Big 12 championship playing against each other. Um, but I still give Oklahoma that respect and that benefit of the doubt that Brent Venables, will, Brent Venables will be able to come in, figure it out year one. They have enough talent. They have the pedigree. It's still the Oklahoma Sooners, as much as it hates me to say hook them, you know. But uh, I think that they'll still be, you know, uh, an eight to nine to ten win for win football team. I think they're still I think Texas is going to win the Big 12 next year, but I think, you know, most people would say going into the season, Oklahoma is still the premier team in the Big 12 until Texas knocks them off the mantle, which they will do this season. Well, and I think that's kind of how it's got to be, right? If you're talking about Texas and one of the, maybe this isn't the greatest example, but it's an example that I've used in the past. To me, Texas is sort of an, they're kind of in that category as, say, in Nebraska. There's so many differences in terms of the advantages that a Texas has. I mean, look, you're in the state of Texas. You're the flagship program historically in the state of Texas. That alone puts you in a totally different stratosphere than Nebraska. But I 
kind of liken those programs together and USC tossed them into this, this group as well to where it's, you've got to prove it to me. You've got to show me by going out and winning the Big 12 championship, by beating Oklahoma once or twice to win the Big 12, that you do have that staying power. And then after you do it once, I need to see it the following season before I'm, I'm going to be totally bought on board that Texas is the team to beat. I love some of the skill talent that Texas has, but, you know, things that I would caution about Oklahoma with Texas, really the caution for me is just the decade of history we've seen. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we can say Texas is back after every, you know, small, significant victory or whatever, but it's about the continuity. Um, and, you know, it's never been the issue has never been the talent. We all know that, you know, it's been player development or, you know, maybe players being too entitled, just not the, the product on the field, not matching what people have expected of Texas. You know, people look at Texas as one of the premier programs, almost a blue blood, if you will. Um, in college football. And we just haven't seen those results in well over a decade consistently since, you know, the Vince Young uh, and Colt McCoy eras and, you know, in the early 2000s until the 2010s. And so um, I think, like you said, you mentioned all the offensive talent. I think that this is the year to do it. I think that not only does Texas have arguably the most talented offense in college football um, with the offensive line being a concern, I still think, um, you know, with Quinn Ewers at quarterback, you're talking about a five-star plus prospect yes he hasn't thrown uh, a college pass yet but just all of the you know tangibles that he has and what we've seen you would expect him especially with the playmakers on this offense to come in and be successful we know sark's track record with quarterbacks and i think each unit on the defense has improved um and so i think that this is the year like i said with no clear-cut favorite in the big 12 oklahoma has questions baylor has questions oklahoma state has questions i think there's some other teams maybe on the rise uh like a west virginia texas tech but they're not there yet on Texas's level. I think this is the year for them to go out and grab it. Now, uh, a wise man once told me, you know, the three most important positions in football are the quarterback, the person who protects the quarterback, and the person who tries to put the quarterback on their butt, who rushes the quarterback, right? Texas has question marks at those three positions. And so I'm optimistic, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm sipping the kool-aid i'm not chugging it right because a quarterback you know you're gonna have a really talented player whether it's hudson card or quinn ewers i'm pretty sure it's gonna be quinn ewers so you're gonna have a really talented player but he's gonna have a lack of experience regardless when you look at the offensive line this was a question mark for texas football team last year now they did bring in um seven offensive linemen in the 2022 class six blue chip prospects but even if this offensive line has three new starters on it, they're going to be true freshmen who have never played in college football. And then the pass rush, it wasn't great last year. We don't have a bona fide pass rusher right now that you can go out and say every week uh, we'll be able to dominate offensive linemen um, and really put fear in the offensive coordinator's heart and really give you a consistent pass rush and allow you to get off the field on third downs. I don't know if Texas has that right now. So um, I still think we'll be the best team in the Big 12 by the end of it, but you don't want to have question marks at those three key positions, like I said, and right now, the Longhorns do well we talked a little bit about Brent Venables being a first-year guy at Oklahoma obviously we're not far removed from that being easy in at Texas the early returns uh, work to be done I think is a kind way to say it about Sark so let's dive into a little bit of maybe the letter grade that you would have assigned to Sark in Texas for 2021 what your expectations are for 2022 and then you touched on some of the skill talent. I'm excited about the skill talent at Texas, no doubt. I'm curious 
about the quarterback, Quinn Ewers, if uh, it does wind up being Quinn Ewers. I think it'd be a big shock if it's not Quinn Ewers starting in 2022. But, uh, I, you know, I think it's I think it's fair to have a little bit of a reservation with Quinn Ewers. So let's dive into all of that. Let me just tell you, our partners at Bet Online they continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online, your continued source for all of your sport wagering information, live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head on over to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online where the game starts. Jonathan and I, we want to thank you for making Locked On Sooners and Locked On Longhorns your first listens every single day. For your next listen, go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast where they've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. That's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think about what you saw from Steve Sarkeesian? You're picking Texas to have a huge bounce back season to win this Big 12 conference. I can buy into a little bit of what you're saying with the conference. I mean, Oklahoma State, defensively, they're not, in my mind, going to be anywhere close to what they were in 2021 when it was a historic defense for the Cowboys. Baylor, they're replacing some key personnel, so I can see a, a little bit dip back to the pack there. Oklahoma, you got a first-year head football coach in Brent Venables. As uh, someone that covers Oklahoma every single day, naturally I'm going to be a little more inclined to be a little more optimistic about Brent Venables and Oklahoma's future in year one. But Dylan Gabriel, again, has thrown for 8,000 yards in uh, his quarterbacking career at UCF, now comes over to Oklahoma, but guess what? That's not Power 5 football for Dylan Gabriel. So that's a little bit of a jump up. So anywhere you turn in the Big 12 Conference, I think you can, yes, find some holes or some reasons to kind of poke against somebody's argument that they're the favorite in this conference. You like Texas for that big bounce back season. That means you have to be bullish and high on the ability of Sarkeesian to get things righted. What did you make of 2021 for Steve Sarkeesian? I'll spare any of the monkey jokes for you, Jonathan. Keep this friendly here in this crossover episode. But what what did you make? Because obviously it was a disappointing season for Texas and for Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, so last year, um, I would give it a C. Um, I, I think that, you know, anytime you're coming into a new program, you don't really have the ability to have that full year to get all your players in and really put your mark on the program. Um, you know, I can't judge you too harshly. That's why I can't go at D or F. But nonetheless, going five and seven at Texas is unacceptable. Losing to Kansas is unacceptable. And when you look at some of the results of those games, when you have a lead, I mean, a 25-point lead against Oklahoma, you have to win that game. When you have a lead uh, against Oklahoma State, excuse me, Oklahoma State going into the fourth quarter, you have to win that game. A lead against Baylor uh, going into the fourth quarter, you have to win that game. Not scoring in the second half against Iowa State, losing the way they did to Arkansas. It was just a lot of last year that you didn't like right and it's the reason they ended up five and seven with the longest losing streak in the big 12 uh six game losing streak since the 1950s right you talked about elder statesman we would need elder statesman to talk about that losing streak <laughs> that happened in the 50s with the texas longhorns the last time that happened um but going into the season yes i i said that i think they have the potential to be the best team in the big 12 um me being the host of locked on longhorns i'm gonna go ahead and go all the way and say they're gonna win the big 12 um and i think you talked about it it starts with that talent on offense when you're 
Third best receiver uh, transfer from uh, Wyoming, Isaiah Nair, had 878 yards last year and 12 touchdowns in an offense that only threw the ball 35% of the time. Your fourth best receiver is Ajay Hall right now, who Nick Saban said may be possibly the most talented receiver he's ever coached. Nick Saban has coached Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, uh, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, you know, just to name a few. So saying Ajay Hall could be more talented than all of them. Uh, really speaks volumes. You talk about B. John Robinson, possibly the best running back in the country. And then behind him, Roshan Johnson, who will start for most teams in the country. You look at tight end, your backup tight end is a five-star. Your starting tight end is Jaleel Billingsley, transfer from Alabama, has legitimate NFL first-round talent. And you look at the quarterback position, we've already talked about Quinn Ewers, who has the potential to be the most talented and one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Yes, there's still concerns on the offensive line, but in the same way, we don't know, you know, if we can rely on them, you know, being true freshmen, uh, not having that experience, it also could go the other way and they could come in and be successful right away. And then, like I said, I think each unit, whether through the transfer portal or through uh, this 2022 draft class and then just some of the maturation of some of the younger players, I think each unit on the defense has improved. And so I think the offensive line will continue to be a work in progress. I think the defense will be better than it was last year. I don't know if it'll be a strength for this football team, but all in all, I think the talent on the offensive side wins out. And with the quarterback like Quinn Ewers back there playing point guard um, and just getting the ball to all of his playmakers, I think it'll be too much for each team in the Big 12 to handle. And that, that's why they're my pick uh, to win the Big 12 next year. But like I said, I'm, I'm sipping the Kool-Aid and not chugging it because we have some question marks at some key areas on the football team. But I, I need my you know, my Longhorn listeners, they're tired of hearing my voice. They want to hear from you. We need to know what are the strengths and weaknesses of this Oklahoma football team going into the 2022 season? And what do you think this Oklahoma team is going to look like under Brent Venables in his first year? Well, I, I think some similarities to Texas in the sense that there's some question marks up front along the offensive line for Oklahoma. Two of their offensive linemen elected not to come back, uh, went into the NFL draft, uh, Marquise Hayes being one of those, Tyrese Robinson being the other. There's there's hope that this offensive line will take a big step forward for Oklahoma. You know, we're not too far removed from Oklahoma having a Joe Moore award-winning best offensive line in the country, but we're starting to get a little ways removed from Oklahoma having that type of offensive line. That's been one of the big talking points around Norman dating back really just throughout the entirety of last year. Why is this offensive line not further along than it is? We'll see. They went and got McCabe Mattire from Cal who started well over 25 games uh, with the Cal Golden Bears over the last three seasons. So that's somebody that's going to slot right in and play straight away for Oklahoma. That's a, a big addition for them along the offensive line. Really, if you ranked transfers for Oklahoma, obviously you're going to say that Dylan Gabriel's number one. We'll see about some of the defensive talent. Folks at OU saw Jeffrey Johnson, the Tulane transfer, up close and in person as Tulane was in Norman, gave the Sooners a scare to start last season. And Jeffrey Johnson uh, certainly made plays in that contest. Uh, he and Jonah Laula are two big defensive line additions in the transfer portal that Oklahoma had. But again, if it's not Dylan Gabriel, which that would be the, the number one transfer portal addition you'd look at for OU. I kind of think it's McCabe Mattaglia up front, just because again, that's an offensive line group for Oklahoma that really Jonathan was just okay for the Sooners in 2021. So if you're bringing a new quarterback in, which Oklahoma is in Dylan Gabriel, 
there's hope, there's optimism, there's excitement that, okay, yes, you've got a new quarterback, but there's the familiarity with Jeff Levy dating back to when those two were together in Gabriel's first collegiate season down at UCF. Still, it's power five football. That's a jump up. We'll see how it works. You'd love to have a great offensive line. So how that progresses, I think, is really important for OU. If you had question marks about the skill talent for OU, I think that's a, a fair thought for Oklahoma. Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss is a great starting point for the Sooners. We saw some flashes from Jalil Farouk in the in the bowl game versus Oregon. But again, I, I'm one of those guys, Jonathan, to where it's show me a season. I'm not going to get too high or too low off of one game. I loved what I saw from Jaleel Farouk, but I think there's some uh, depth questions for Oklahoma in the wide receiver core. I think you're really good up top with Marvin Mims and, again, with a healthy Theo Weiss, but we'll see after that. Defensively, Oklahoma struggled in 2021 defending anybody in the passing game. Casey Thompson showed us that down at the Cotton Bowl when he threw for five touchdown passes against the Sooners. So they need to be a lot better in that area. Again, you start thinking about Brent Venables. I think there's optimism that his presence alone will have Oklahoma further along on the defensive side of the football. But at this point, man, it's just uh, optimism, right, until they actually kick this season off. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing with uh, Texas. You know, it's easy to say right now that things are going to be a lot better and, you know, they're coming off of five and seven. And this is the the moment right now where everybody's excited about their team. You know, everybody has something to look for uh, because the season hasn't started yet. But, you know, I was talking with John Garcia earlier from Sports Illustrated, you know, getting into September, that's when you actually have to strap your helmet and everything that's happened in the spring and all of this on paper, transfer portal, recruiting classes, new coaches, yada, yada, yada. That's when it's all put to the test. And like you said, you know, Dylan Gabriel has an illustrious career at UCF, but nothing has been done at Oklahoma yet. We can talk about Quinn Ewers um, and what he looks like and his arm talent and what he did uh, in high school. But none of that has happened at the University of Texas yet. So uh, like you said, each, you know, we could run through all of the schools in the Big 12 and talk about the question marks they have going into the season. But I think this is that's why this football season, especially in conference play, uh, is going to want going to probably be one of the most exciting we've seen in a long time because truly you can't pinpoint who is going to be the best team in the Big 12 next year. And it's really going to be a Royal Rumble at the top, I think, between those top four teams in Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Baylor. And, you know, with them being so close, there's opportunity for another team to maybe sneak a, a sneak in and surprise us as well. So uh, it's going to be some really interesting football about 100 days from now in the Big 12. If you're looking for that sneaky pick, I am cautiously, and I mean very cautiously, interested and intrigued by Kansas State simply because of Deuce Vaughn. The Adrian Martinez factor, okay, well, that scares me off a little bit, though. I kind of feel like the Kansas State offense, historically what they've been, I think that's maybe going to pair better for Adrian Martinez versus what they were asking him to do at Nebraska. And then again, just having Deuce Vaughn in the backfield alone is a big step up, I think, for Martinez at Kansas State. So you could intrigue me there. Uh, again, I'm not ready to stamp that I think Kansas State is playing in a Big 12 championship game by any stretch of the imagination. Though my antennas, if I'm looking for a dark horse type team, they're up a, a little bit on Kansas State. We've got one thing that I think, Jonathan, both Longhorns and Sooner fans can come together on, and that is an upcoming move to the Southeastern Conference. There's excitement for it. When you think about Texas and this 2022 season, 
I think it's vitally important, really for both, for Oklahoma with a first-year coach in Brent Vittables to maintain what has been a stranglehold on the Big 12, save, of course, for last season when their string of six consecutive Big 12 championships was snapped by the Baylor Bears. To maintain that stranglehold on the conference is important, I think, for Oklahoma from a recruiting standpoint, entering the SEC. For Texas, it's, hey, you, we can get caught up in the we're back, uh, in any of that type of conversation with Texas, but they they could very much use a season that says, if we're not back, we're pretty darn close to being back before I think both programs jump into the SEC. My prediction, I think it happens in 2023. How important is this year from, from your perspective, your standpoint on Texas making that transition to the SEC? I think it's really important. Um, and I really like what Sark came out and said, you know, when he has to field so many questions about the SEC, he said, we're still in the Big 12 right now. We're worried about winning the Big 12 championship. But um, when you talk about the, the key to being able to go into the SEC transition smoothly and be able to compete as soon as you get there is the ability to continue uh, to recruit well. You know, they had the number five recruiting class this year. We'll see what happens in 2023. I think a lot of that is going to ride on whether Arch Manning decides on Texas or not. Um, and then being able to, you know, secure uh, talented players in the transfer portal like they did this year, ultimately, hopefully uh, they brought in their starting quarterback in the same fashion um, that Oklahoma did with Dylan Gabriel. But um, just being able to put a winning product on the field. Um, I think that, you know, Texas has its allure and you're always going to be able to bring in players because you're at the University of Texas. But if you don't win games, there's a lot of prospects that are paying attention to that, you know, and at the end of the day, players want to win in college. You know, that, that burnt orange looks good and. You know, Texas has really nice facilities and it is Texas, you know, hook them. Uh, we could drink the Kool-Aid all day, but, you know, nobody wants to come, you know, play uh, if there's a possibility of going five and seven, you know, regardless of Texas being in the SEC or not. And, and we've seen um, kind of in the last decade uh, that Texas hasn't really been up to snuff. We've seen teams like TCU uh, being able to take over um, recruiting in Texas. Of course, Oklahoma has always kind of been able to come down and get some of our best players. Uh, we see now Texas A&M uh, is probably the premier recruiting school in Texas. And so I think Texas needs to win from that standpoint as well, being able uh, to be the premier team in Texas, as far as getting those top recruits um, in the state, one of the biggest states in recruiting every year has one of the most blue chip prospects. I think last year they had the second most blue chip prospects um, in the class outside of Florida. So I think it's super important um, just to have that momentum going into the SEC, but from a recruiting standpoint, uh, to let people know that Sark is really building something special. And the University of Texas is not just about the brand or the history, but this is a team that is ready to compete on an annual basis. So there's all sorts of scuttlebutt of what scheduling might look like in the SEC once Oklahoma and Texas do indeed finally arrive. Again, I think it's going to be as early as next season. That's There's nothing concrete out there about that. It's just kind of reading the tea leaves. I don't think either Oklahoma or Texas want to stay in the Big 12 too awfully much longer, and certainly not with Cincinnati and BYU and everybody that's joining the conference, joining the conference when they do next season for a 14-team league. I think if OU and Texas are taking part in a league like that, with that many teams, it's going to be in the SEC in 2023. So the ideas that I guess have the most backing or prominence or discussion behind them in the SEC right now is one permanent opponent, seven rotating opponents, or three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents. I'm a big fan of the three and six model. It sets you up to 
see every single team in the conference every other year and host every team in the SEC, even with Oklahoma and Texas joining once every four years. So I love that structurally just in general. I think for me, as uh, as someone that's covered in Oklahoma, I want to see Oklahoma's permanent opponents be Texas A&M, Texas, and Arkansas. Do you have a preference on what permanent opponents would look like for Texas? Like Arkansas, from an Oklahoma standpoint, it's the neighboring state. There's sort of a built-in rivalry right there with Oklahoma. A&M, you've got, of course, the time together that you played in the Big 12 Conference. That sort of just automatically makes sense for OU. Missouri has gotten bandied about for the Sooners. That one excites me the least for Oklahoma in terms of a permanent opponent. No thanks. I'm out on Missouri. Don't need that game. But where do you stand with Texas and permanent opponents? And, man, there's some discussion out there that A&M's trying to duck Texas. Unbelievable. Yeah. um, So I did a a segment on uh, one of the episodes. I said Texas A&M, OU, uh, and LSU, but I definitely understand the history between Texas and Arkansas, and I think that would be the most likely pairing. Um, I think the LSU game and the Texas game would provide a little more fireworks each year. Um, but like you said, even in that model, you would get to host uh, and play Arkansas every two years or LSU um, host them every four years and play them every couple of years. So I think either way, you're in a good position, but it has to be OU and Texas A&M. I have brought somebody on the show and he said he didn't need to play Oklahoma every year. I thought that was one of the craziest things that's ever been said on locked on Longhorns. And I might say a lot of crazy stuff. Um, so those are going to be uh, my four picks or my three picks, I should say. And I, and I really support the system has to be, OU, has to be a and um, And I think LSU, but I definitely support the history of Arkansas. I think most Texas fans would want Arkansas. And I think that would be the most likely pick if it came down to Arkansas, LSU, it'd be Arkansas for Texas getting into uh, Texas A&M. So I would understand why they wouldn't want Texas to be in the SEC. They wanted to be the team in Texas that was in the SEC. Um, And I think that has benefited them, helping them recruit. Uh, We saw them pull in uh, the number one recruiting class last year, regardless of how they did it. You know, that's kind of the story in college football um, right now. And and so I understand that. But, you know, knock, knock, we're here. Uh, So, so much for that. But as far as, you know, them not wanting to be in a pod with Texas, I just don't really understand it. And then you got a coach like Jimbo Fisher who calls a press conference to respond to Nick Saban at 10 a.m., like calls a press conference to clap back and doesn't hold back. And so Jimbo Fisher doesn't strike me as the type of coach that would run from a team like Texas, especially a team, you know, I have to be honest about my Longhorns, haven't given people much of a reason to be scared of them, you know, in recent years. So um, I'm not going to say anything about Chip Brown's reporting. You know, I'm, I'm sure you heard it from, you know, some good people if he decided to put that out. Um, but the AD came out and, and dispelled it. And like I said, I, I just don't I can't imagine a coach like Jimbo Fisher um, not wanting to play Texas or shying away from playing a school like Texas. And it benefits both teams so much just as far as the robbery, um, you know, the money involved, all of that. And, and when I look at it, I think the only reason they might not want to do it is because that could turn into a game that controls so much of Texas recruiting. You know, if Texas and A&M start playing again and Texas wins, you know, five out of the next seven or something like that, then Texas easily becomes the premier recruiting school in Texas, at least in terms of the SEC, because nobody wants to go to the little brother. Right. So that's the only reason I can maybe see them shine away from that matchup. But there's too many positives. And like I said, seeing Jimbo's personality, seeing the AD come out and dispel it, you know, I think it's fun to put that out there. But um, I, I think AM would play Texas given the chance because there's too many pros 
um, instead of cons for them to run away from that game. And like I said, Jimbo Fisher just doesn't strike me as a guy who would run from the smoke from any school, especially a school like Texas, who, you know, has been disappointing, uh, more disappointing than good over the last 10 years. Well, and what I've been saying over here on Locked On Sooners is, are you kidding me? Greg Sankey's too smart of a guy. He runs the SEC too well to not see the dollar signs involved in Texas and Texas A&M playing every single season. He's too good of a businessman. Does A&M really have that ability? Like, let's say that that report, there is some truth to it. Let's say that that's all factually accurate, that A&M doesn't want to play Texas every single year. Are you kidding me? Are they really going to have the sway and the power just because they've been in the SEC for a decade to prevent that game from happening every year. Not something tells me something tells me TV, Jonathan, is going to be too important for them to, to get away with that. Yeah, they, I mean, like I, I said that on the podcast and I kind of hinted at it earlier. You know, that game is just too big. There's no way that even if Texas A&M didn't want it, like you said, there's no way that the SEC would grant that. There's just too many opportunities that come with that game. And, you know, I think regardless if it's a pod system or I know they, they said they don't want to do divisions. However, they schedule it. Uh, we can look forward to seeing Texas and Texas A&M every year uh, for the foreseeable future. Man, it's been fun hanging out with you, Jonathan. We'll have to, to do it again. I mean, obviously, building up to the Red River game when we get close to that. I'm sure there'll be some other opportunities along the way. But uh, thanks for making this crossover happen, man. Yeah, this, uh, you know, it might not be as friendly as it was this time, or, you know, on that week when I have to tell you all week that Texas is going to beat OU on our way to a Big 12 championship. But, you know, the Red River rivalry is always intense, regardless of what sport it is. But, you know, here on Lockdown, we're teammates. And so it comes off a little friendlier on camera, I guess. I like it. Yeah, we, we are ultimately teammates here on the Lockdown Network. And, you know, thanks, everybody, for making Lockdown Longhorns, Lockdown Sooners your first listens every single day. Go make your second listen, the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. Rafael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, Lee Thulin. They give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and, of course, those big boards as the NBA draft getting oh so close. Follow Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. For Jonathan, I'm Josh Elmer saying so long, everybody. <laughs>